I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. A few weeks ago, while I was traveling, I went to mass at a parish in Pittsburgh without my kids. I was traveling for work, so obviously my family wasn't with me. I was there with some friends of mine and their kids, but I wasn't in charge of the child wrangling. At least, you know, I helped as I could. But it was the first Mass in ages that I was at, and I didn't have a tiny human to occupy or to keep from running away or to try to prevent from screeching at the most inopportune times. And as I was sitting in the Mass and listening to the readings and listening to the homily and responding when I was supposed to respond and sit standing and kneeling like I've done basically my whole life, something kind of hit me in the mind. And, and maybe it was because we're preparing for this Ave Explores series on the Mass. Maybe it was just because I was in the right place, right time, right mood to kind of feel this, this particular feeling or to think this particular thought. But, but I was overcome in that moment by the great beauty of the Mass. Now, I, I realize you might be thinking, okay, well, you were probably just in the right frame of mind because you're prepping for this podcast season and you're prepping for this series and you've been having these conversations and you wouldn't be entirely wrong. I was walking into that Mass without my kids, focused in a, in a new way, anticipating a parish mission that was going to be starting that evening. So I was, again, right place, right time, right moment, right frame of mind. But I was, I was overcome. I was struck in that moment by the beauty of the Mass and the great privilege, this was the new thought, the great privilege it is to get to walk to the altar, to get to sit and to stand and to kneel and to participate in this form of worship that is the source and summit of what we do as Catholics, of who we are as believers. That the Eucharist is not only this incredible gift from the Lord to us, but that it is a privilege to get to receive it. It is grace upon grace to get to participate in this form of worship. And whether I'm distracted with my children and all of the, the myriad things that I need to finish and the to-do lists that are constantly bouncing through my brain and the meal plans that need to be prepped and every other thing that could possibly pull my mind away from that powerful moment that sometimes when I'm without my kids or I don't have this overwhelming sense of there's so much to do, that sometimes at the right moment, the right place, the right time, I can be gobsmacked by the great beauty of this form of worship. It's that idea that this mass that we get to participate in, that the Eucharist that we get to receive, that the church that gives us this form of worship as instituted by Christ himself, that all of that remarkable beauty and gift is something to be dug into, is something to be understood, both from a practical perspective, what is it, how does it happen, why does it matter, as well as, as usual with Ave Explorers, a 10,000-foot view of, okay, let's, let's listen to some stories, let's listen to some experts, let's try to understand on a bigger scale how this fits into the Catholic life and the faith-filled experiences that we long to have. As we've prepared every Ave Explorer series, you know, we sit down as a team and we, we look at, okay, who do we want to talk to and what do we want to talk to them about? What's going on in this current moment? Why is this conversation so significantly important? And, and really try to peel back all the different layers of how to get at the heart of a subject. And from the get-go, I knew that we wanted to start our series 
not just digging into the particulars, although that's certainly coming with some amazing theologians who have spent their careers talking about the theology of the Mass. We're, we're having those conversations, to be sure. But to talk big picture, why does it matter? Why does it matter that I go to Mass on Sunday? Why does it matter that, that you go to Mass on Sunday? Why does it matter that we gather together as a community in worship in this way? What happens when we do that? How are we changed? And, and perhaps even, how does the world change as a result of that? I've had the great honor of getting to know today's guest over a, a very interesting period of time. You know, Father Patrick Mary and I have only really gotten to know each other digitally because of COVID. Uh, the couple of times that I've been in D.C., that he's been out of town and, and, and then vice versa when he's been down my way towards Louisiana. But we are getting to finally meet this summer at a, at a conference, and I'm so excited for that. But we chat quite frequently, both on my radio show and here on the podcast. Uh, we're, we're getting to travel together a bit later on in the year. He's a remarkably kind, intelligent, hardworking Dominican, one of my absolute favorite orders. And in a really beautiful way, Father Patrick Mary's both his vocation story and then his work as a Dominican as the editor of Alatea, an incredible Catholic website, he's got this quite unique perspective on why the Mass matters. And I wanted to sit down with him and chat about this in context of his ministry as a Dominican priest, his work with seminarians, his job as an editor of a Catholic website, all the different things that he gets to do, but ultimately all of it rooted in being a priest who says Mass and being a Dominican who goes to Mass with his fellow Dominican brothers and somebody who gets to speak about the Mass in a variety of different contexts. Now, this is kicking off our brand new Ave Explore series on the Mass. We've got so many amazing conversations coming. I can't wait to tell you about some of those guests that we have coming up after this podcast. So you have to listen to the whole thing to get to the end when I tease out more of what's coming. But I do want to direct your attention down to our show notes where we have links to everything that we're creating, our podcasts, our articles, our Instagram live conversations with a variety of great guests, some amazing things that we're creating just for you, all of it for free. Ave Explorers is always free, always available to you and other faithful Catholics who want to dig into their faith in a new way. You can check it out at the link down in the show notes, AveMariaPress.com. It brings you straight to the Ave Explorers page. You'll be able to find so many awesome things there. Sign up for the weekly emails. Get in on the fun for a giveaway basket, some discount codes for some amazing books that we have over at the Ave website. But for right now, we'd love it if you'd sit back and enjoy this conversation with Father Patrick Mary Briscoe on why the Mass matters. Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, welcome to Ave Explorers. Thanks, Katie. Great to be with you. And I think this is a first welcome. I've had you on the SiriusXM show, but I think this is the first time you're joining us on Ave Explorers. So tell us who you are, where you are, and what you do. Well, I'm really happy to pop over here and meet you with the Ave hat. I'm a Dominican friar. That's probably the most important thing about me. I'm a member of the Order of Preachers, so I'm a Catholic priest. And my day-to-day -day is that I'm the editor-in-chief of Alatea.org, the Catholic news and spirituality website. So we talk very much what, what's the haps in the Catholic world, lifestyle tips, prayer, that sort of thing. So Alate is my day-to-day. -day. And I would say that like one of the best things about my life right now is that I live at the Dominican House of Studies. I live at our seminary in Washington, D.C., which is adjacent to Catholic University. So it's a huge community, a lot going on, and just a, a really exciting place to be in the church right now. What drew you to the Dominicans, Father? Like, tell us Ooh. a little bit of your vocation story. I know that's kind of a big question, and we've only got 30 minutes, but yeah. how did you arrive at the order of preachers in your life? 
Well, it's a very typically Dominican thing to tell as short a version as possible about one's own vocation. Yeah, so I, I had great parish priests growing up. I thought about being a priest from the time that I was a young kid. I was in formation to be a diocesan priest, to be a parish priest in my home diocese in Port Wayne, South Bend. And when I was at college seminary at St. Mary's University of Minnesota, I met a Dominican friar who introduced me to Aristotle in philosophy and Thomas Aquinas in theology. And I said, these guys know what's up. And it turns out that there's a whole (laughs) religious order that thinks very highly of these two thinkers and is is shaped very, very significantly by them. Anyway, so I fell in love with the Dominican charism through Father Fabian and through what he taught me in college. So after I graduated from St. Mary's, I became a Dominican. And the Dominicans, for those who might have just stumbled upon this podcast because they saw Why the Mass Matters is the title. I mean, a Dominican, a Benedictine, a Franciscan, like there's all these different flavors of religious life. Why are you guys so unique? What makes y'all special? That's right. Well, our goal is to be as mean and precise as possible because we are the order of inquisitors. So I say that with a big smile on my face (laughs) and uh, and I'm only half kidding. No, so the the Dominican tradition relies on, on learning and study. That's really our charism and aimed not just for our own self-aggrandizing or publishing or the work of the Inquisition, which you can ask a lot of legitimate questions about that later, (laughs) but about thinking how the Catholic Church talks about God and Mm -hmm. how how to make that message as broad and as big as possible. That's the charism of the Dominican order, um, where the order of preachers, St. Dominic in his day when he founded us, was concerned about false teaching. And so he built the order, he designed the order such that we would take study seriously and take seriously the communication of ideas and really work to to reanimate, to revive, to encourage the church and through that particular ministry. Mm -hmm. Well, y'all do a good job of it. I had Dominican educators at UD. There were a handful of them floating around campus. And I think the holiest person I've ever known was this sweet Dominican, Father Matt, who like he he died not long after I graduated. All the good Earth. Dominicans are dead, Katie. The good, yeah. <laughs> well, one day we'll remember you as a as a good Dominican who had died. I think the you're gold, doing pretty okay. Yeah. Uh, but Father Matt, he was very old when I was at UD. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he had lived a long life and and basically would get wheeled into the chapel and then wheeled out. And that's but he would sit in the confessional for hours a day just. Students would knock on the door and they would come in and they would go to confession and he wouldn't say much, but he was incredibly holy. And Mm. you could just tell because Catholics are weird. Of all the weird things that we do, one friend like asked him for a lock of his hair at one point because they're like, you're going to be a, you're going to be a saint someday. And I want, and it's like, and he, he laughed at it and he was like, I guess if you want, but it was just this very bizarre, I think he was probably embarrassed. Just wanted to get rid of the guy. Mm. But yeah, it's a lot of the holy, holy men that I've known throughout my life and holy women, because Dominican nuns are certainly a thing and they do incredible work. So thank you for your, your ministry and for all that you do. I want to get into it because I think a Dominican is the perfect person to talk to us about this. Statistics across the country show. We've got episodes coming later that are going to go into the specifics of the mass, how it works, mm. all the things that that happen within a liturgy. But statistics show that regardless of whether people know the, the what's actually happening, there's a lot of people that don't want to go or there's a lot of people that think it doesn't matter or they show up and they just have to get through it because it's an obligation to make sure their grandma doesn't cry when you're home on the weekends. So I'm just going to get to the big question. Why does the mass matter, Father? Yeah, it's an extraordinary reality that we're facing. Just culturally, we've, we've lost 
everything that the mass means. Why does the mass matter? Well, ultimately, it's because that the mass is our way of being in contact. And I think that's really important. I'm going to open that word up in contact with the Lord Jesus. It's the most reliable way. And I think, you know, when we, when we get at, when we get at it uh, and we start asking, well, well, what's happened? I think part of it is the modern world is about invention and chasing what's new and, and designing the latest thing. And this, this is very, this is very much the, the sense of modernity. And there's a, there's a lot of really incredible things about the modern age, like indoor plumbing and, electricity. And those are not things that I'm disappointed by. I use them every day. I don't know about you. Maybe you don't, but I, I use them. I'm not by any way, any way dis, dismissing these tendencies, but I am saying very seriously that we have to ask ourselves, why is it that I am refusing the ritual of the past? Why is it that I, that I think I'm looking for a new way to be in touch with God? Because we have a very real way in front of us, that contact, being able to reach and access the graces of the cross every Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's how I contact, it's how I can be in contact with the Lord most closely. And yet I still don't always feel it. Like mm. I, the big, the big argument that I hear from a lot of people is I didn't get anything out of that. Like I didn't feel any different when I, when I left is when I walked in and as if the mass is supposed to, you know, just push a couple buttons and, and transform you in, in one specific way, as right. opposed to recognizing, well, first of all, it's the work of the people. And second of all, it's this moment of contact with the Lord. But that doesn't mean that you're going to walk out of there with warm and fuzzies or having dramatically cried, even though sometimes in youth ministry, we convince teenagers, if you don't cry, then it didn't really matter. If it's the way that we are actually in contact with God, and yet people still resist that, how do we articulate that better? Besides doing podcast series on the right. mass, like what's the way that we actually teach people? Right. I don't want to dismiss what you're, you're touching entirely because one, one thing that I get frustrated by is that people will say, oh, the problem is catechesis. And if we mm. just tell Catholics better, then they'll know and then they'll do the thing. Then they'll start showing up Sunday mass. Well, I think that view is actually a, a kind of uh, a revisited version of Plato and, and Plato's basic <laughs> Plato's basic philosophical insight, his claim, right, is that once something is known, then it's possible to pursue it. And I don't think that's correct because the passions will get in the way. Mm-hmm. Determining your life is not simply about knowing things. Think about the, I mean, we do this all the time, right? You say, I know what's good for me. I know that I should spend 30 minutes in the gym every day. Do I? Absolutely. And it's not because no one's told me that I should. But I have other things that I prefer <laughs> and I choose them. And it's not for lack of knowledge. I have plenty of knowledge about the reality. So, so I, I do think we do need to ask, well, you know, what, what is it that the people aren't feeling? I, I don't want to dismiss that. But, um, mm-hmm. but I do think to get into what, what you're asking here, Katie, we need to find, as, you know, as you're suggesting, these new ways of presenting that truth. And, and for me, it's all about going back to that basic point. Why aren't people going to mask? Well, I don't think people know what the mass is and the mass is contact with Jesus. Like this is the, this is the most basic thing, right? Like our Protestant brothers and sisters say, Oh, I talk to God all the time. And I say, that's great. You know, how do you do it? And then they list all kinds of things, which basically they've invented, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm not being cool by saying that, you know, they have kind of designed their own way of going about this. What Catholics believe about the mass, of course, is that the mass is a representation of the graces on Calvary. So when we are at the mass, We have the same access to Jesus that the apostles had when they were standing at the foot of the cross. It's Mm -hmm. the same. That is a really dramatic claim. And that's something that we, that we need to talk about because that allows us both to think about the mystery more clearly and to feel it, you know, Mm -hmm. to really be moved by it. Yeah. And if I know that that's what's happening, why, how could I stay away? 
So I'm going to reveal in this first episode of our podcast, I was a <laughs> child altar server. Um, <laughs> I was a girl altar server of the 90s when that was more of a thing in certain parishes across the country. And uh, there was, a, I, and, and then later on, like my parents were involved as extra ministers of communion. And I started working as a sacristan before I joined the parish choir with my violin. But there was this sign hanging in the back of our sacristy that said, uh, and you know, it was for the priest. Somebody had cross-stitched it. It said, treat this like it's your first mass, your last mass, and your only mass. And it has just been embedded in my mind as, well, yeah, that should be what all of us think of every single time we step foot in. And you describing this as it's actually us standing at Calvary with Jesus, not just pretending that we are, not just play acting as we go through these motions. It's not, it's not a little kid acting out a movie scene. Like it is us entering into the, the moment in a very real way. It's that, that almost makes me overwhelmed. Like, okay, well, am I even worthy to go to it then? Like, you know, I know all the thoughts that I had this week or the things that I did or didn't do or the attitude that I'm walking in with. So how can we maybe help people and even ourselves get to a place of, okay, if that's what it is, and this is why it's such a valuable thing, how do I approach it well, like the most disposed to get everything out of it that I know I'm supposed to. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's really the rub, right? To, to, to invite people to see what the mass really means. I mean, one of the keys, right, is getting to know the scriptures better. This is where we can look to our Protestant brothers and sisters to, to see, you know, one particular strength of many of these movements in the United States is to take Bible study very seriously. You know, people say, I didn't get anything out of mass. I said, well, okay, did you read the Sunday readings every day before you heard them proclaimed at Sunday Mass? Do you know anything about the prophet that we just talked about? Like, what, what can you tell me about Isaiah? How much do you know about Isaiah? Uh, you know, we'll pick that book because that's super complicated. So I think that there's a real, there's a way that we could be a little bit bolder, I think, you know, because there's a sense of when people say, well, I didn't, I didn't get any, anything out of Mass. Um, and they attended Mass like a surly teenager, you know, with their arms crossed, like, impress me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and they said, well, like, you know, the choir wasn't on today or, you know, it was it was some old lady warbling or, you know, the, the priest didn't prepare his homily or, you know, there was a family with misbehaving kids all around me. OK, and all of those things might be true. But Lord is still offering you something in and through all of those mm -hmm. things. I think that one of the misconceptions we have to clear away is that, oh, in order for people to get something out of the mass, we have to do as much as possible to to transform the mass so that it could be a great experience. No, we have to teach people, I think, as you're suggesting, how to have the right disposition. And I think the first and foremost is to be ready for the Sunday lectionary, to hear the themes, right? Another thing is to prepare the text of the mass itself. The prayers that we hear at the mass differ every Sunday. The collects, some of them are incredibly, incredibly beautiful prayers. And we should take the time to, to pray with them. You know, and again, I think it's very important to do this before the Sunday Mass itself, so that when you hear these texts read, you hear the readings proclaimed, you're ready for them. You have a sense of, uh, of knowing what's coming. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Father Patrick Mary. I want to bring your attention once again down to our show notes where we have links available to you to sign up for our Ave Explorer series, everything comes straight to your inbox every week. Two podcast episodes, a link to our Instagram live conversation, discount codes for books at our website, and a whole lot more. We'd love it if you'd sign up and get in on the Ave Explorer's fun. So check it out at the link down in the show notes, AveMariaPress.com, and it'll bring you to the Ave Explorer's page on our website. All right, back to this great conversation with Father Patrick Mary Briscoe. 
I got into a debate with a friend of mine at University of Dallas where lots of things get debated just because <laughs> people want to hear themselves talk most of the time. I'm happy to admit that about my alma mater. And I was one of those people. And uh, it was my, I think it was like my sophomore. It was when I got back from Rome. So it was the mm. spring of my sophomore year. And I started going to daily mass in Rome more regularly because it was very accessible on campus. And the chapel was right there. And Monsignor Fucinaro was incredibly engaging and everybody wanted to go. And so when I got back from Rome, my parents had bought me, they came and visited me at the end of the semester with my sister. They bought me a Roman missile, right? One of the daily mm-hmm. Roman missiles, the giant... And so I obviously was excited about it and started going to mass with it every day. And a good friend of mine who I'm still very good friends with lives in the Washington, D.C. area, actually. Happily married with many kids. We've stayed in touch over the years. But like our friendship almost ended over this debate our sophomore year because we walked out of mass one afternoon. and I'm holding my Roman missile in my hand and he went, you're not supposed to have one of those. And I like looked at him and I thought he meant like as a woman, I'm not supposed to have one of those. So I get like incredible. Oh, like as a lady, I'm not allowed to like, you know, and I like immediately get defensive. So he, he's like, no, that's not what I mean. Like, stop accusing me of sexism. That's not what I'm saying here. But then he said, as a Catholic, you're supposed to listen. You're not supposed to read. Like, it's about our hearing, right? He who has ears to hear, she who has ears to hear. And I was like, yeah, but I'm a visual learner. I want to be able to see it. I want to be able to go back to it. I want to be able to flip the pages and like follow along with what father is saying. So we got into this huge debate about the the way a person learns. Does it matter when you walk into the mass? You're supposed to walk in and just simply be. And I think we both walked away from it. Neither one of our opinions changing. I still use my Roman missile to this day. I doubt he picks one up. I subscribe to the Magnificat. I'm sure he does not. Mm -hmm. But there is something about if I I even just spend five or 10 minutes on the drive to mass with my squirmy kids in the backseat, listening to the readings read aloud or like make a conscious effort Um, after the fact to go back and read the gospel and think about what father said, we can get more out of it. Very much agree. And I think that's something that that was lost. Um, So when we started preparing all these beautiful worship aids after the Second Vatican Council, that tradition of people bringing their own missiles to the mass has been Mm -hmm. lost. I think that's certainly part of how people have experienced a kind of new separation from the word of God, from the prayers of the mass, because they no longer know where the prayers are in their book. And I am a super strong proponent of getting your own missile, of subscribing to Magnificat, of using whatever whatever resource you want to use, as long as it's not your cell phone, um, to help you pray during the <laughs> Holy Mass. Because I just think that cell phones are distraction machines and should be as, yeah. as far from our prayer as possible. But I, I absolutely agree. And you should take the Magnificat and take a pen and circle words and write yeah. questions and think of things to look up later uh, and, and do all of that to, to help animate your prayer. Yeah, my mom's Roman missile is rubber band together. Like awesome. it's the spine has been broken. And we keep saying, like, can we please get you it? One of these days it's just gonna fall out and you're gonna lose the entire Easter season. Yeah, it'll blow away. Open yeah, it up. a quick wind will come but, up. But she, <laughs> she won't do it. It is it is one of her most prized possessions. My husband's grandfather just passed away and he got his 1955, like like yeah. long before Vatican II arrived beaten up uh, some trads would fight over it if we gave them the chance to like it's it's and it's one of the most prized possessions that my husband now has because it was it was the way his grandfather prayed every day of his life so we can talk about it we're nerds we're catholic we care about this kind of thing somebody's listening to this they probably found it because they've listened to all our other stuff but we approach a lot of people every single day catholic or not catholic disaffiliated seems to be the the largest growing group in the country right now And we can tell them these things, contact with Jesus. It's standing at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter if you walk in and all these distractions, there's still something remarkable happening. And I think it's that 
I believe that when I say it and I want somebody else to understand it, but it's still, a, it's a hard jump to then get that person to come with us or to get that person to, to want to return at some point. As a Dominican who's out in the world, who preaches, who writes, who, who is very much on the forefront of evangelization, how have you seen people communicate that well? Right. Short of just like saying it works for me. Like what is one of the ways we can express that? Right. The mass matters. Yeah, the mass matters. The best part is that the mass is the expression of the believing community. And, and this is the difficulty, mm-hmm. right? People feel alienated from the mass because they, they feel like they don't belong. They've mm-hmm. moved away from where they grew up. They don't know the priest. They feel uncomfortable in a church. They don't have a group of friends to sit with. And, you know, all of those are the major obstacles, not theological objection, in, in my own view, for most people. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's everything else that we're talking about. So the best, the key, right, is to be super intentional about building communities where the mass matters mm. and realizing mm. that when we're inviting someone to mass, we're not inviting them to one hour a week. We're, we're making an invitation to a way of life. And I think that's yeah. the reason, ultimately, that's the reason why the mass is being rejected because the Catholic way of life is being rejected or a particular community is being rejected. And yeah. so how do we, to borrow the, uh, phrase from life team. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but how do we live the mass? How do we, how do we live? How do we live a, a, a way of life that, that is truly Eucharistic? A, a way of life that is that is animated, that is in contact with Christ. Uh, that's a much bigger problem, and that's why it doesn't admit of an easy solution. And that's mm-hmm. why it's important that, that that we think critically about all of these things. You know, in my mind, the Catholic Church needs to be the center of its neighborhood. So Sunday morning, you know, short mass every half hour, and then religious education, then coffee and donuts, then the parish brunch, then then everything on Sunday. You know, so the whole day is just filled with an animate with an animation of church life in, in Providence in Rhode Island. One of the coolest things that we started in our parish community while I was there, and this was not my idea, and I take no credit for it at all, was a bocce <laughs> league. Oh wow! And the reason this is so important is because St. Pius is not a big parish church, but People who have been going to mass together, and if there are any Rhode Islanders listening, they'll understand this completely. People that have been going to mass together for, I kid you not, 20 years did not know each other's names. Mm. And the parish bocce league became an occasion to sip a little wine, have a cold beer, throw a ball around the court, however terribly, and then to learn someone's name. And then you could greet them. At mass on Sunday. And then the whole, you know, the whole community becomes plugged back in and animated. And that worked and it was heartfelt because it was really, it's not a program. It wasn't an agenda. It was really about mm. just getting to know people and yeah. about deciding, no, all of us are going to commit to this parish, to praying together, to, to living a life as centered in this community. That's a great point. Cause you know, I immediately think to my home parish as a child where I grew up, we were incredibly invested. I worked there as a youth minister and we just six months ago switched parishes because of where my daughter goes to school. Cause we just, we discerned that there was a better fit for her. And so we decided, okay, we're going to commit to the parish community. And it's, I'm Catholic. I've lived here my whole life. I've been off and on to St. Margaret's for years, but like now I'm a parishioner and I'm showing up every Sunday Mm -hmm. and I've got this weird, like, okay, I want to go say hi to that lady over there who smiled at us when we sat down I'm I'm extroverted when I need to be, but now I feel weird about doing that, even though we're worshiping next to each other. Like, I don't know your life story and you don't know mine. You just see me wrangling this kid and, and getting over that hump. 
And it's almost like we we need permission from father to do it. I, I mm. hate the stand up and greet your neighbor thing that happens before. Some oh, yeah. Masses, no, no but I'm not all, advocating that. <laughs> like, I'm not advocating for that. But at the same time, I get why some people might do that because there's like, I'm not going <laughs> to just walk over there and shake her hand. Like, I don't want to be the weirdo. But that I'd never really thought of it that way. That community component, somebody to sit with, somebody to visit with afterwards as I'm like trickling out the door because there's the slow drip to the door, you know, shaking hands with father and like he remembers who I am and he asks a question that I'll never forget the day that the priest, he knew it was August and he knew Rose's birthday was in a couple of weeks and he asked her what she was doing for her birthday party. And I didn't even realize Father Sam remembered that, but her face lit up like Father Sam remembers and she invited him. And so now I've got another, I've got somebody else coming to the party because she told Father Sam to come to the bounce house. And I, that community component, and that's the work of the crowd that is there and the priest and even the staff people in the parish community. You're in a really unique spot. You're in Little Rome in Washington, D.C. I think you described Holy Thursday as Catholic Halloween because everybody bounces from church to church there. Absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. It's the best. I, yep. My sister went to the Dominican house this year for Triduum because she had friends that were going to be there. And the Basilica is beautiful, but she wanted to be in a little closer knit group of people that she'd be able to talk to before and after. So maybe just one or two tips. People that are sitting in the pews, fathers that are listening to this podcast to build that community to help people recognize you do, you belong here because the most important thing that could ever happen in the history of the world is happening right now. That's right. Tip number one, most important thing, do not glare at children ever. <laughs> Thank you for saying ever. that. No, no, no. But no, because people, pe <laughs> older people will say to me, why, why are families not coming to mass? And then the next thing out of their mouth, father, make those kids be quiet. <laughs> it's like, okay, you can't have it both ways. So I think, you know, and, and the, the invitation really is to think critically about how, how are we supporting family life? That's been different in different generations, you know, and in the old days, children didn't come to mass. The parents went and they took shifts and that was generally how it was in New England. Um, mm -hmm. so, the, so I recognize that there are some generational sensibilities here that are, are at play, right? But, but I think very seriously, we need, we need to support kids. My mom has the gift of calming children. So she's one of those ladies that can just pick up a crying baby on an airplane and the baby will just stop crying. You know, and she can make faces at toddlers and distract them and be perfectly content. There are very real ways you could just step in. You know, if, if a toy gets flung your way during mass, don't just stare at it, you know, pick it up and walk it yeah. back over to the poor parent trying to wrangle a child and the toy. <laughs> so don't be afraid to help parents with their children. Mm -hmm. And introduce yourself to the child and, and learn, learn children's name and have conversations with children. It's beautiful. It was, and such, mm -hmm. a, such a, a way to support families. So, okay. So I think, I think that's number one. Everything for the sake of family life and for our children. The second thing that I would say is to just take gentle initiatives. I think we got, we got into a habit in the American church of thinking that for something to be useful to the community, it had to take place in the parish hall. And if it takes place in the parish hall, it needs father's permission. And I have to talk to the secretary and go through the scheduling thing. And then six months later, nothing happens. <laughs> okay. So if you're a young couple and you see a young couple like you guys at mass, why don't you just say, hey, you guys want to go get coffee? Like they're there mm -hmm. at church. You know a lot about yeah. them. Like this is way yeah. easier than meeting someone at a concert. So why not just meet people? And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're going to be best friends or that you're, you're going to agree on everything, but you already have the most important thing in the world in common, namely that you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and that he's worth worshiping on Sunday. I think that it's worth just making those gentle invitations. You know, as, as a priest, I always mm -hmm. considered myself a kind of friendship yenta. And I was constantly trying to drag people together. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, but I, I really wanted 
uh, the people in my parish to know each other. And mm-hmm. that, that was really important to me. I think that there's a lot that people can do there. I think, you know, one of my, one of my final thoughts is that in the face of the modern world as religious people, I, I don't think we have to be apologetic about trying to get people to come to mass. I think we can be pretty vocal right now. Like mm-hmm. teen suicide, depression, anxiety. How's all this working out for the modern world that doesn't believe in God and doesn't worship? You know, because new plan as I see it is not so great. And mm-hmm. not that not that religion is this magic red pill that that fixes everything immediately. I'm not I'm not advocating that either. But I am suggesting that it's worth considering the old ways and and yeah. seeing what and seeing what they can do to give us a groundedness and that we can we can be a little bit more bold about that. Yeah. I it's so interesting that you say that boldness factor because I've got a couple of very good friends here in town. She's disaffiliated Catholic. He was never raised with any sort of religion and kind of out of the blue they reached out to me about baptizing their child. And it was like this I'm happy to give you information. Like here's father's number. But I, part of me was like why like is this yeah. just do you believe emotions? in this? Is this Yeah. Yeah, is this to I like make I'm really curious. Happy yeah. Because you want like an inheritance someday? <laughs> like what what is going on here? And it it boiled down to a very honest I'm actually going to a, a they're moving soon, a going away party for them tonight. It boiled down to the modern world seems pretty jacked up right now. Like there's just nothing that we are finding in secular society that's life-giving. Maybe we can invest in it. And so it they are now in contact with the priest in the new place that they're moving. Cause I think it's going to be a little more than just like, we're not just going to baptize our kid because there's this magic water that's going to make him, you know, protected from all of the awful things in this world. Like you as a family need to engage in this process. But it was uh. it was this out of nowhere. Like we were talking about something else. And then it was, by the way, we want to baptize him. Wait, what? Like, did and then of course, pridefully did something I say, and it's like we never talked about religion. Like, it was something she knows my job, she knows what we do as a family, like she knows who we are. They've been to our house where there's Catholic stuff everywhere. But it was fascinating that on her own. So I do think there's that natural inquisitiveness within our world right now. Mm-hmm. Throw on top of that social media where there's a lot of Catholics and all this content creation that's happening, and just the common, like, clearly we're living our life in a very different way. You know, just look at the average size of Catholic families in comparison to the rest of the world. Like, clearly we're doing something different than everybody else and we're happy about it. Mm. Father, we're asking this question to everybody as we conclude the podcast this season. So you're first up. We walk into Mass on Sunday. You're a priest. So you get this pride of place in the front where you get to look out at the mm. crowd, but also as a Dominican, sometimes in, in choir and celebrating. What is your favorite part of the Mass? My favorite part of the Mass is when the priest lifts the host up right before distributing it. And he announces who it is that he has in his hands. And he says the words of John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the lamb. It is the best moment <laughs> because the priest mm-hmm. is saying, no, this is the one. This, this is he whom your heart seeks. This is the one who, who frees you from your sins. This is the one who loves you enough to die and to give himself as food for you. This is the one who has, to, who, mm-hmm. who, if you will allow him, will, t- will take your heart and fulfill it. Mm. Can you tell me why? Besides that, like, this is the moment. Like, is there, was there ever a moment where you realized, <clears throat> okay, this is my favorite part besides mm. me just asking this That's question? Great. As a priest, because it's the moment in the mass, of course, you have the consecration where you lift the sacred host and the, uh, the precious blood up. 
and present them to the faithful. But as a priest, when you say, behold, the Lamb of God, the, the way that you hold the host invites you to stare right at it. Mm. And so as you're holding at that moment in the mass as the priest, right, you, you, you have the host in your hand and you have the chalice underneath it and you, you hold it right at eye level. And so you're, you're staring at these two things. And I always make a small act of faith at that moment saying, yes, no, I, mm. I, I believe this. Behold, this is, behold the Lamb of God. Yes, I believe this is the Lamb of God. Yeah. It's incredibly, incredibly moving for those sitting in a congregation watching it. But then, of course, I imagine, you know, it is, it is the high point of your, your priestly ministry to get to do that. So thank you for doing it. Thank you for sharing that with us. Father, where can we follow you on social media? Listen to your own podcast, read the great stuff that you write. Oh, please do. I really appreciate that invitation. Uh, so I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My handle is at Patrick Mary OP. At Patrick Mary OP. I'm one of those Twitter priests. So now you all know that I need extra special prayers because <laughs> Twitter is a place where people like yours truly hang out. So please, please follow me there. I'm a host of the podcast, God's Planning which is a Dominican Friars podcast where, you know, as I try to say, I believe the order's vocation is to talk about God. That's what we do on the podcast. <laughs> we explain God um, on God's planning. <laughs> and I host that with uh, my classmates, Father Gregory Pine, Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic, Father Bonaventure Chapman, and Father Joseph Anthony Crest. And I've got a book out that I co-authored with Father Jacob Bertrand about St. Dominic that was published by OSV this fall called St. Dominic's Way of Life, which is available, yeah, basically everywhere thanks to the internet. Mm-hmm. Electricity is yeah. great, you know. It is. I was going to say, can you wires, imagine you know? Thomas Aquinas with this modern technology? We'd have ten times more to read. Oh my from gosh, him. we'd never, we'd never catch up. Yeah. <laughs> no, we'd never, we would not. It's. Uh, I mean, Peter Kraft is is doing is doing a decent job trying to show him up. I think. But <laughs> Father Patrick, thanks for taking the time. We're so glad to have you. God bless, Katie. And when we had this conversation, as as often is the case, I, I hang up the Zoom call and I kind of sit back for a second and I just let myself think about everything that we just said. And I immediately write up a description for the episode while it's still fresh in my mind. And one of the things I was struck by after we, we stopped recording was the great passion and joy in the voice of Father Patrick Mary. How the Mass is not just this thing that he does as a priest, but is truly the center of worship in his life. It is truly the rerouting point of his life, is truly what his attention is drawn to. And that's his unique position and perspective as a religious priest, but it's still something that you and I, perhaps the laity, or maybe you're a priest or a religious sister listening to it, but, but that we are drawn into as well. That the Mass fundamentally changes us, that this form of worship is something that is is life-altering when we let it be life-altering, when we allow it to be something that we fully enter into without reservation, without pause. Over the next few weeks, our Ave Explorer series is digging into the Mass in a really unique way, bringing you conversations with Dr. Tim O'Malley about the life of the parish, how the Eucharist is the rooting component of a parish community with Father Joshua Whitfield about how the laity can prepare to participate in the Mass most fully, especially with regards to the Liturgy of the Word. We're going to chat with Father Ajani Gibson, a black Catholic priest from the Archdiocese of New Orleans, about the cultural components of worship that are so necessary to pay attention to. We're going to sit down with Dr. Susan Timoney to talk about the history of the Mass, the structure of the Mass, the way the Mass unfolds, as well as Shannon Wimp-Schmidt, 
a parish employee who's soon to move to the Archdiocese of Chicago, sharing with us about the way that sometimes we get distracted and how to reroute our worship and reroute our mind. We're chatting with Father Tim Grumbach, a priest who during COVID learned how to say the extraordinary form of the Mass and now has a great devotion to both the Latin Mass and the Novus Ordo Mass and how those two inform one another. Some amazing conversations that we have coming up, as well as over on our Instagram page. This podcast is just an access point to some amazing things that we're creating. So we'd love it if you follow us on social media, Ave Maria Press on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to this podcast. Heck, give it a rating and a review. We'd be grateful for that. Sign up for the emails so you don't miss anything. It's all free. It's all for you. And we are so grateful that you're joining us on this journey to dig into the beauty of the Mass, why it matters, and how we can engage in it more. So we hope you sign up, join us, AveMariaPress.com. We'll be back soon with a whole lot more. Thanks for being with us on this journey, and thanks for listening today. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.